This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. This next topic is one that is near and dear to my heart and probably to a lot of my listeners as well. Cancer. I lost a mother to uh, initially breast cancer, then it developed into lymphoma. I lost a father to colon cancer. My sister um, had breast cancer diagnosis, and she's beaten that. Anywhere you go, anyone you talk to, you know that they are touched by cancer in some way. And, of course, we we hear time and time again that we've got to find a cure for cancer, that we've got to raise billions of dollars in research. Lots of questions about where that money goes. But, But the question we're asking this hour is, do we over diagnose cancer are we over treating cancer are there cases of cancer that had they never been screened never detected you probably would have died from something else and i i know it's a it's a tough topic because i'm sure there are those of you who are listening who are saying i'm so thankful that they detected that cancer in me early otherwise i may not be here to enjoy my my grandchildren. So I know it's a tough topic, but I think it's one that we have to tackle. National Post has a, a great special out, and that's where we kind of lanch, latched onto the idea. And uh, I wanted to make sure that you were aware of it as well. Nationalpost.com is uh, the great feature that they are running on the whole idea of this war on cancer. Dr. Gil Welch is a professor of medicine, Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy, clinical practice, and author of Less Medicine. Medicine, more health, and he joins us today. Dr. Welch, thanks so much for your time today. Angela, it's great to be with you. And you know that there is someone listening right now saying, uh, this is crazy. We, we want to make sure that yeah. we catch cancer as early as possible. But maybe I have to even start out with cancer is such a broad term. How many different cancers are there in the world? Well, there, you know, it, it depends how you slice it. But, uh, you know, the, the, the major solid tumors, we count around 20 but more importantly is within each tumor, whether it's lung cancer or prostate cancer or breast cancer, there's a remarkable heterogeneity. There's a lot of variability, and it's been described as the birds, rabbits, and the turtles. And the goal of early detection is to catch these animals. Uh, but you, you can't catch a, a bird. You can't fence in a bird. What, what, what happens is the bird's already flown away, and they represent the fastest-growing cancers, the cancers that are already spread by the time they're detectable. And then there are the rabbits, and if you build enough fences, you can catch the rabbits, and those are the, the more slowly growing cancers where, where screening can, can, can help people. But then there are the turtles, and the turtles are the cancers that meet the pathologic definition of cancers, but in fact they're actually not going anywhere. And, and this has been a problem as we look for early forms of cancer, we realize that some of these cancers never progress. And that leads to the problem of overdiagnosis. And unfortunately, screening is really good at finding turtles. I love the analogies. So the birds are the the fast-spreading cancers. The rabbits, slower. The turtles, so slow. Aren't going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. 
Yeah, they're not going anywhere. Who, who do we blame? And by the way, this analogy has been around for 50 years. Well, you know what? I learn something new every day, Gil, so I'm so glad yeah. you shared that with us. But <laughs> And I don't want to point blame, but where did this, where did it happen that we, we started focusing on, on the turtles of cancer when maybe we had to look at the birds more and the rabbits? I don't think there's anyone to blame. It's really a side effect of looking for early cancers. When Back in the 50s and 60s, the only things that the pathologists saw were big cancers that had caused huge problems. But when we started to look for early forms, particularly with mammography or PSA screening for prostate cancer, we realized they're small microscopic cancers, things that meet the cellular definition of cancer, but in fact, there's so many more of them, we know that they won't all progress. And the other thing that we do know is, is that from autopsy studies, when we look at people who have died from some other cancer, some other cause, mm-hmm. rather, many of them will harbor small cancers that they never knew about during life. And, and those two observations make us realize that there's a lot of variability, a lot of heterogeneity out there, and that one of the side effects of looking for really early forms of cancer is you may find things that don't matter. Define heterogeneity, because I'm learning so much today. Well, it just means that, that there's variability in cancer growth rate. Mm. And, and, and even within, take a disease like breast cancer, which we now realize isn't one disease, it's four or five. And some uh, breast cancers are extraordinarily rapidly growing. They occur in between two mammograms. Uh, A woman will have a normal mammogram, and six months later, she'll have a very aggressive cancer. These are very rare, thankfully. Mm -hmm. But they're extremely aggressive. Um, And then at the other extreme, there's small rests of cells, um, and this is particularly likely in some forms of ductal carcinoma in situ, that don't appear to go anywhere. And so there's this this incredible diversity, even within a single cancer like breast or prostate or lung cancer. Gil, I know you say, you know, we don't want to blame anyone, so I'm not going to blame anyone. I'm going to blame something, and that's okay. te- that's technology. And I wonder if our medical yeah. technology is so incredible that we are able to detect, thing- to detect things so early. And that sort of started this whole snowball of, okay, if we see it, it's going to turn into something more aggressive. Let's get it right now. I think there's definitely some truth to that. I think I think part of the war on cancer that was started by our president Nixon uh, so many years ago um, had this strong push to throw technology to look for early forms, um, and that was something that led to tests where the way we made judgments about the test was which test could find the most cancer. And we now know that isn't the right question because uh, it's easy to find more cancer. But the, the, the much more difficult question is which cancers are going to matter? And, and that's something that we're struggling with uh, right now. Well, so when you're talking about even screening and early detection, what cancers benefit from that as far as the, the outcome and hopefully uh, killing the actual cancer? Well, um, I, I think the reality is that 
in every case, if we look early, we can always identify or have a sense that we might help some people. And it's a very few people, to be honest. The problem is we also end up hurting others. So this is the reality of screening, is that you, you, you may help some, but other people go through a lot for nothing, including treatment. As you know, our cancer treatments are hard. Um, and, and so that's why we need to have a balance. We, we don't want to be checking people every day for cancer. We'll end up treating way too many people, and a lot of people will be hurt by treatment. So this is why we're, we're struggling to kind of find the right balance. Clearly, the people who stand the most benefit from screening are those at the very highest risk for developing the cancer. So uh, someone with the so-called breast cancer gene, BRCA1 or BRCA2, you know, those are people who we, we all agree stand to benefit a lot from, uh, 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 from early detection because their risk of breast cancer is uh, so high. But the average woman or the average man, um, it, it, it's really a much closer call. I wonder then, especially when you're talking about the, the BRCA, BRCA1 and 2, as opposed to screening programs, should we have genetic testing for people who may have a, a family history of breast cancer? Well, absolutely. People with a very strong family history of multiple cancer uh, deaths uh, in their family uh, are people that should have uh, genetic uh, counseling. But most of us aren't at that kind of risk. I mean, that was that's Angelina Jolie, yeah. for example. Mm -hmm. she, she had incredibly strong family history, and she has the gene. But most women are not Angelina Jolie. That, 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 that's 99% uh, are, are, are not going to be at that elevated risk. And so I, I think you're right. One thing is to identify who's at really highest risk. Um, I think another thing, though, is for us first to recognize that a lot of people do very well with clinically detected breast cancer, for example. That's one of the great untold stories, I think, of the last, uh, two, three decades is how much better breast cancer treatment has got. And ironically, the better we can treat breast cancer, the less important it becomes to try to look for it early. Mm. Hold on with that thought because I want to delve sure. into that, uh, especially when okay. it comes to breast cancer. Dr. Gil Welch is my guest this half hour, and uh, we are talking about cancer and when it comes to. Um, treating cancer? Are we over-treating or are we over-diagnosing? And I'd love to hear your stories as well. 403-974-8255. You can send your texts. I'll open up the phone lines after my conversation with Dr. Welch at 3.30. But right now, let's take a break. 403-974-8255. Yes, that is the number you can call and text. At 3.30, I will definitely open up the phone line because I'd be curious about your opinion, especially when it comes to cancer. And I think when it has affected yourself or maybe someone in your family, you probably have some fairly strong opinions on whether or not you would agree with the idea of the over-diagnosis or over-treatment of cancer. My guest is Dr. Gil Welch, professor of medicine, Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy, clinical practice, and the author of Less Medicine, 
more health. Now, Dr. Welch, you are in the U.S., and this is Canada, and I, I, I don't want to get into too many um, details as far as how our... You don't want to build the wall. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what I mean? Oh, okay. our, our healthcare system is a little different, too, so I'm, I'm almost wondering if the screening process is different in the two different countries. But putting that aside, go back to your comment about when it comes to clinically detected breast cancer, we're actually doing well. And, and what do you mean by that then? Well, that I mean that uh, uh, in, in this country, and I'm sure in your country, um, you know, probably somewhere between a third to uh, a half of, of, of breast cancers appear clinically. If the women may be having mammograms, they may not be having mammograms, but nevertheless, they still have a lump. And once they have a lump, we all agree that a diagnostic mammogram is a very good thing to do. That's not a screening mm -hmm. test. That's now trying to figure out what the lump is. Right. And the vast majority of those women, I'm happy to say, do very well. And that's in part because we now know most breast cancers are a so-called hormonally responsive disease, and we have... Um, develop drugs that are uh, both uh, very good at uh, uh, controlling the hormone levels and adjuvant chemotherapy that has added a lot. So our treatment of breast cancer has gotten a whole lot better since uh, 1990. I wonder, though, when you say clinically detected, because we do have screening programs here and women, you know, yeah. at a certain age, they start having mammograms. And, and this almost goes back to that, the DCIS, the ductal carcinoma in situ, because... Which is only found by mammography. Which is only found by mammography, which it's not necessarily a lump that a woman detects. It is... I almost worry that the, the DCIS, if it was... If you didn't have mammography, you may never develop breast cancer. Am I that's way that's out? Right. Okay, no, so no, you, you you are right. A lot of the DCIS probably represents overdiagnosis, yeah. and in fact, in the United States, uh, there's a group of breast cancer surgeons that is running a trial of uh, watching DCIS instead of acting on it instead of doing a lumpectomy or mastectomy, um, but for low-grade DCIS, they're going to observe it. And I wouldn't be surprised, and this is, this is a crystal ball, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if 10, 20 years down the road, a lot of breast cancer isn't treated with medicine, not surgery. Hmm. You know what? And I mean, uh, the, the DCIS kind of hits close to home just because I have a, a friend who had been diagnosed with it. And, and when you receive that diagnosis, I, uh, the first thing she said is get it out of me. So I, it, would, it would be tough, that. right, for a patient to say, have a doctor say, totally. you know what, can we just watch this for five years? That, that must be the tough that, part. That. Well, it, 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 it is the tough part, and it's part of how we need to begin to change our view of cancer and understand that variability or heterogeneity, as I said, yeah. um, and, and that recognize that if you're going to look for early forms of cancer, one of the important things may be to take your time to try to sort out whether that is, in fact, an important abnormality that needs to be acted on or whether that's something that you can watch. And what is happening, where that's really happening most often now, is it is in prostate cancer. And in prostate cancer screening, uh, we recognized that many men, um, as they age, will have prostate cancer. In fact, over half of men over age 65 
will in fact have pathologic evidence of prostate cancer, but it's not the reason they die. They die with prostate cancer, mm-hmm. not from prostate cancer. And that's and that so whole question. Yeah, them, go ahead, Dr. Welch. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so th- that is one place where all of a sudden we are beginning to watch small cancers instead of subjecting men to the operation. Well, and there was this whole push for your PSA, get your PSA checked so that you have a That's base right. level. Is that is that still the the common thinking then when it comes to... Well, we're, we're having tremendous debates about this, yeah. and there's a lot of disagreement. And, and I think one of the things people should know about medicine in general um, is um, we can do a lot of good. Uh, there, there's a, you know, I'm a conventionally trained physician. I believe uh, medical care can do a lot of good. But it does the most good for people who are acutely ill or injured. Mm. This idea of trying to anticipate the future, which is what a lot of medicine has moved to, is a much trickier balance. It's hard for us to make well people immediately better, you know, because they're already well. But it isn't that hard for us to make them worse. So we have to be really careful when we move into the anticipatory side of medicine, trying to figure out what is going to go wrong in the future. It is a difficult thing that will never get it totally right, and you've got to be careful uh, about entering the system, trying to anticipate what's going to happen in the future. Well, yeah, that... By all means, see your doctor when you're sick. By yeah. all means, you have a new lump, go get checked out. Um, but when it comes to making well people better, we've got to be really careful. And that brings into question almost every screening program because it's almost like screening programs. And I'm and I'm thinking, um, oh, Saskatchewan government, uh, one of our provinces, they they put lots of money into screening for colon cancer. And is it the FIT test? I'm trying to remember the fecal uh, the it name would of that. Be, that's right. Yeah. It would be the FIT test. Um, which so they, is the they were looking. Test. Yeah. So they were yep. looking for that. I'm I'm mm-hmm. now I'm now you've got me questioning even screening programs. Well, I think we, we, we need to be, really look at them hard. We have to realize that there are trade-offs involved. It's not as simple as you might think. Um, that, that screening always comes with some cost, and by cost I mean human cost. I yeah. mean people who get treated unnecessarily, who worry unnecessarily. Um, and I think um, we need to understand these are patient choices, um, that there really are choices here. Um, and people should understand their trade-offs here. Uh, this is probably way too political for you, but where does yeah. <laughs> big pharmaceutical companies come into this? Oh, no, I'll, I'll <laughs> touch this one because that, that, that is part of the story. There's a lot of money in population-based testing. Yeah. Um, and you're going to see a lot more tests, whether it's biomarkers or immunosignatures or liquid biopsies, there'll be a lot of firms trying to sell uh, tests that will tell you about your future. The first question is how accurate they are, um, which takes a long time to figure out. And then the more important question is, are they actionable? Can you do anything about it? There's a lot of people interested in doing early testing for Alzheimer's disease, for example. Um, 
And and yet we have no plan for what we could do for people that are at elevated risk beyond the same thing that your grandmother would have told you to do anyway, which is, you know, eat well, eat your fruits and vegetables, uh, go play outside, get activity, find meaning in your life, and by all means, don't start smoking. Those things are important for all of us. But this whole notion that we can kind of test ourselves to health is something I think we need to be a little careful of. Love it. Test ourselves to health. And also, I'm glad you threw in that because I was going to ask about, you know, aside from having family risks, probably the best thing is the prevention. And you just laid it all out again. Eat well, exercise, don't smoke. It's Dark, so important. Yeah. It's not very sexy, but it's yeah. really important. <laughs> I've been in this business a long time. I've been beating that drum for a long time as well. Dr. Welch, um, way too fast, but I'm so glad you started the conversation. Well, well, thank you so much for having me. You take care. And really, I mean that. You take care. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Gilbert Welch, he's a professor of medicine, Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy Clinical Practice, author of Less Medicine, More Health. I want to take a break here, but I do want to hear from you. 403-974-8255. As I said to the doctor, I'm starting to question some of the screening programs that we, we do throw a lot of money at and what is, as he said, the human cost of that. Let's talk about that after this. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.